Greetings in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jared, for these songs. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's, Emmanuel's veins. History tells us that William Cooper, who penned the words to this song, was a literary genius in his day. He also struggled often with uh, depression and thoughts of suicide, contemplated suicide. And I'm understanding that sometime around the time that this song was penned, or maybe shortly after, he had been, uh, for about a year and a half, he was in a mental asylum because of the uh, depression, the struggles with depression that he was uh, dealing with. And throughout his life, um, constantly struggled with depression and thoughts of suicide. And he penned these words, there is a fountain filled with blood. The dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day. And may I there, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. William Cooper struggled with the thought that God could actually forgive his sins. And he penned to the beautiful words that, that we still sing today, many, many years later. I, too, am grateful this morning for the opportunity to gather together like this in the communion service. I do want to make a few comments before we get into the message, and thank you, the youth, for uh, their thoughts last evening. So um, there's got to be a first time for everything. Our doorbell rang, and I was downstairs studying, and, and one of the children said, Dad, come quick. A little bit of a note of desperation there, but not a dangerous sound of desperation, but need to get there so I got there and unfortunately my wife wasn't home and they sang we wish you a Merry Christmas and gave us a gift card thank you for the thought of course why not we can even rejoice for Christmas time this time of the year thank you Alvin for the devotional meditation that you opened up with a very fitting um, background Jesus said in Luke 22 and the, as he was in the upper room there with his disciples instituting the first communion service, he said, this do in remembrance of me. <clears throat> this do in remembrance of me. Now, for us today, we, we, we know that, and, and we've grown up hearing that we have communion service. It's a, it's, a, it's a memorial service, something we do in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. But in a Jewish culture, I think it, this took another level of, of uh, dimension of meaning because there was a lot of things that they did, a lot of feasts, a lot of ceremonies, a lot of sacrifices that they did in remembrance of. And one of the biggest events, that I think actually the, and the major event that they would talk about was their deliverance from Egypt. And you see that. Um, it's not difficult to see as you read through the Old Testament that Constantly, God reminds them that I brought you out of Egypt. And constantly, they were um, remembering having been brought out of Egypt. It was a story that was meant to be told and passed on from generation to generation. Yes, there were stories like creation, stories like the flood, stories like Abram being called out from his people and following God to a land that he didn't know where he was going to. But the big story that they always told and they continue to tell was the story of their deliverance from Egypt. It was something that they were to remember and not forget. Remember simply means to have something to come to mind again, to bring back to mind by effort. Think about that. To remember is to bring back to mind by effort. 
Alvin mentioned Exodus chapter 12. And in Exodus chapter 13, I'll just read a few verses there. God commanded them to keep the Passover annually. Then the Passover was the main feast that they celebrated in, in remembrance of their deliverance from Egypt. And it's interesting that he gave this to them sometime around the, last, the time of the last plague and before they left Egypt. Exodus 13, verses 8 and 9. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in, thy, in my mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. And in verse 16, it says, And it shall be for a token upon thine hand, and for frontlets between thine eyes. For by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. There was a major deal to them that God brought them out of Egypt. And there was a major deal to them that they were to remember this on an annual basis. <clears throat> Being delivered from Egypt was such a big deal that even Joseph didn't want his bones to be left in Egypt when he, as he died and he knew that he prophesied that they would be delivered, they would go back to their homeland. He said, when you go, take my bones along. So I'd like to look at a few things this morning. Why we, can, why we have communion service. It's a time to remember. It's a time to celebrate. And, and it's also a time to proclaim. Looking some more than at establishing the Passover as a time to remember. I'm going to go back to Exodus chapter 12. And spend a little bit more time there. Alvin already referred to that. And that was a good opening uh, to what we want to look at. don't think I'll take time to read the whole chapter. I'll just make mention of it, of verses throughout. Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 28, as I mentioned already, is around the time of the last plague and before they left Egypt. Verses 3 through 14 give instructions for the Passover lamb. I think I'll read those verses. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, the lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count, shall, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep, from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, and with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes and your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. 
It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Israel I will ex I'm sorry, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Giving them instructions on what to do that night that God passed through after the ten plague, after all these plagues that God had been bringing to, to Pharaoh and to Egypt, and constantly hardening Pharaoh's heart to the point that he wouldn't let them go, this was going to be the last and final plague that God was going to bring and break Pharaoh to the point where he would let them go. And God wanted this to be a memorial occasion to them. And he wanted, and as the death angel came through that, through the land that night, every house that didn't have the blood on the doorpost, the oldest person, the eldest son or eldest person in the house was to be killed. But for those who followed the instructions that God had given to them, had killed the lamb and sacrificed it and spread it, sprinkled its blood on the doorpost and the lintel, the death angel was going to pass over those homes. A perfect lamb was needed. It was to be a lamb of the first year, we see in verse 5. Verse 7, we see that the blood needed to be to be applied. This was a serious situation. It was a life or death matter. If the blood was not there, someone was going to die. Verses 15 through 20 give us instructions then for the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And leaven is a type of sin. Egypt was also a type of sin, we know. And eating the unleavened bread symbolizes deliverance and freedom from sin. Why was this such a big deal that they would be delivered from Egypt? Egypt was not where they belonged. It was not the promised land that God had given to them. And we know that their time there was harsh, and it was getting more so. The longer they went, the more harsh it became, the more Pharaoh poured on them. And they were looking for deliverance. They were longing for deliverance from this. And God finally brought them to this on the night of the Passover. And then, and they were, as, as you see there in, verse, in Exodus 12, they were supposed to eat in haste. They were supposed to eat ready to go. And it was because of this memorial occasion after the years of, of bondage in Egypt that they were being delivered from that God said, I want you to remember this and I want this to be a memorial for the rest of your life, for the generations to come. back a little bit Judges chapter 2 after they were back in the promised land and Joshua had passed away and they were starting to up and down of, of being obedient to God and being disobedient to God that the angel of the Lord came to them 
and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt. Let me, before I get into that, if you would read, I just read in, in chapter one, I found it interesting, uh, just a by the way, because uh, Alvin mentioned that uh, one of the things they were supposed to do was uh, dip their, was it their big toe and their thumb in the blood, or there was going to be blood sprinkled on it, right? Well, if you read chapter one, there was one of the kings that they took into captive, and they took off his thumbs and his big toes. So I'm not sure what it is about that. That's kind of a side note. But we're going back to talking about uh, making a conscious effort to remember. In Judges chapter 2, and I'll read verses 1 through 5. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their, uh, their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept, and they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. They had fallen into a state of disobedience, not following God's uh, way. And this angel of the Lord came to them and reminded them that he had brought, the, reminded them of how they had been brought out of Egypt. And as a result, a, a revival broke and a renewal um, broke out in their, in the, amongst the people there. <clears throat> Remembering in this situation brought back revival and rededication. <clears throat> we need to remember. We need to make a conscious effort to remember today because we tend to forget. We just simply tend to forget. We, we need reminders. And sometimes we're in a, when we're in the thick of a given situation, whatever it may be, and however intense it, we may, it may be, we think we'll never, ever forget this. Have you ever heard yourself saying this? I'll, I'll remember this for the rest of my life. And yet, if you stop and think about it, maybe a few years later, sometimes it's surprising how much you actually have forgotten. There's things that, that stand out and that we don't forget. Every year around September 10th, we see uh, you know, signs around, we will not forget. There's a conscious effort being made to remember what was done to the United States back some years ago. We need to remember what we have been delivered from. We need to be remember, make conscious effort to remember what we have been delivered from because I think it's one of the things that can help us from going back to where we were, especially if we've been delivered from sin or some bondage or in Egypt. What is your Egypt that you've been delivered from? Do you have an Egypt that you've been delivered from? And do you remember it? I think we have to be careful. We have to find that balance between remembering and, and, and holding uh, and nursing or, or, or um, nurturing some hurts and wounds. Find a balance between that and remembering in a way that we're grateful for where we were and where we've come from and what God has done for us in our lives. Remembering can increase our faith. Remembering can keep us from going back. 
We make a conscious effort to remember because we tend to forget. In Deuteronomy 6, I want to read a few verses from there. It gives a reason why they were supposed to do some of these things. Deuteronomy 6, 16 through 25. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean these testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then shalt thou say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us in, to give us the land which he sware unto our fathers, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And it shall be our righteousness if we observe to do all the commandments before the Lord our God as he hath commanded. One of the reasons that they were supposed to keep these uh, commandments and statutes, are the words that are used here in the testimonies, is so that the children would ask. So the coming generations would ask, what is going on? Why are we doing this? And it gave the, the parents an opportunity to explain and say, here's why. And so I think I, I, I'm grateful on our communion services particularly. I think uh, and, you know, from the background we've come from, uh, the children aren't usually at the communion service. But I think it's, it's powerful and it's good to have the children in, in our communion services, even though they do not actively participate. <clears throat> and I bless you as parents for the work it causes you. Um, it This too will pass. You'll be surprised how quickly. Um, some of us well remember the, the days of sitting in, through the communion service, and, and honestly, it gets to feel a little bit long when you have a handful or more of children that you're trying to keep settled and still. And I bless you for bringing the children. And for you as children, this is an opportunity for you to, to witness and see what is going on and to ask your parents questions. Ask your teachers questions. Ask questions and, and learn and know what it is that this service today is all about. <clears throat> Taking it to another step, I think the children need to hear the stories of our lives. What have we been delivered from? No, it's not so nice to talk about maybe some of the things that we wish to forget. But could we tell the story in a way that the, the children can see that, wow, dad struggled with those things. God delivered dad from those things. And those stories can be told to build and increase our faith. Another reason why we have this service is to celebrate what God has done for us. For thousands of years, even up to the present, the Jews celebrate the Old Testament Passover and their deliverance from Egypt. With the celebration of the Passover was also an anticipation of the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah. Alvin mentioned the stages of the blood that was shed, the, the lamb 
being killed for, the, for Isaac, and then the lamb for the family, and then the lamb for the nation. And so all throughout the years, thousands of years, the Jewish people before the coming of Christ anticipated, along with their celebration of the, the Passover, they anticipated the fulfillment, the coming of the Messiah. Some have missed the coming of the Messiah and continue to look for, uh, with anticipation for the Messiah. Today, we know that our Messiah has come, but there's another level of fulfillment that we anticipate and have not yet experienced, and we look forward, look forward to that, and that can be a part of our service today. The focus on the evening of the Passover supper was to retell the miraculous story of how God brought his people out of Egypt and contemplate how God will redeem Israel by sending the Messiah. It was believed among the Jews that just as God had passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt, so he would come again at Passover to save his people. And interestingly enough, the day Jesus was, gave his life on the cross coincided completely with the celebration of the Passover. And the timing was down to the exact timing when they killed the Passover lamb in the temple. Even today, it is traditional for a child to open the door after the Passover supper to see if Elijah might be standing there because the Bible told, says that Elijah was going to be a herald uh, proclaiming and prophesying the coming of the Messiah. <clears throat> so we today in the New Testament era celebrate our deliverance from Egypt and anticipate the fulfillment of our deliverance for all of eternity. It is interesting to note that when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples and he held up a piece of bread and said, take, eat, this is my body. One Jewish scholar points out that he was holding the matzah or unleavened bread and broke off a piece which is called the afikoman. Traditionally, the afikoman is hidden away until the end of the meal. Then it is brought out, broken and eaten by all. Afikoman simply means the coming one or the Messiah. Tradition also says that the whole piece of matzah, the loaf, represented all of Israel and that the Messiah, the afikoman that was broken off, um, was broken off and hidden away. And the appearance of the afikoman at the end of the meal was symbolic of the coming of the Messiah. So the children would look for this hidden piece of afikoman and with great anticipation and celebration after it was found, signify the anticipation of the coming of the, the Messiah and the celebration that would go with that. Today, as I mentioned, we know the Messiah has come. Jesus has fulfilled that. Let me finish my thought here. Jesus, by holding the, up that piece of Afikoman there with his disciples in the, in the upper room and saying, take, eat, this is my body, was making the astounding claim to be the highly anticipated Messiah just before he went to the cross. He held up that piece of Afikoman and said, take, eat, this is my body, claiming his rightful claim as the highly anticipated Messiah. 
And so when I think about that, I think wouldn't it be really, and we know that, let me back up a bit, we're, we know that we're, we're, we're commemorating communion in October and then not in Easter, which is Easter coincides with the Passover. And yet we can celebrate and anticipate today. But wouldn't it be special? I've thought about that. When we think about the Jews and their anticipation that the Messiah would come at the same time as the Passover, wouldn't it be special if he would split the eastern sky on the same day that he split the veil in the temple on the Passover or maybe when the churches are gathering together and celebrating communion and commemorating what he has done for us? No man knows the hour, the Bible tells us, right? So we, we just look with anticipation. But I think it would be really special if that timing would be that way. That's not for us to decide. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7. So I bring out these thoughts because of the anticipation that went along with the celebration and looking for the celebration of the Passover and being delivered from Egypt and the anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. The book of Hebrews is full of comparisons between the Old and the New Covenant. And it's hard to know where to start or stop when you start in, in this book. I'm going to pull some verses out from Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14, and read through chapter 8, verse 7. Thinking about celebrating the fact that Jesus is the spotless lamb, the perfect high priest, the Messiah. As Alvin mentioned in the devotional, there was that, that reminder throughout the Old Testament, the, the, the looking forward, speaking of the lamb, that would be the sacrifice for our sins. And the anticipation among the celebration of the Passover throughout Jewish history of this Messiah that was coming. And here in these verses now we see that Jesus is the, the completion and fulfillment of all that anticipation and celebration. Hebrews 7, verse 14. I know I'm breaking into a thought here, but like I said, there's so much, and, and so I'm just pulling out... A, Seven, chapter 7 verse 14 through 8 chapter, chapter 8 verse 7 for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood and is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there riseth another priest Melchizedek was that mysterious man who met Abraham and we, to, today we, we try to figure out who he was Verse 18, for there is verily a disannulling of the covenant going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repeat, repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They were human. They would die and they needed to be replaced. Verse 24, but this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. 
For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the Son who is consecrated forevermore. Now of the things which we have spoken of, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not men. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. Just a few thoughts to pull out of these verses. Verse 19, referring to the law, the law made nothing perfect. The law satisfied for a time. It met a need for a time, but it didn't completely satisfy. It it made nothing perfect. One of those reasons why is because it was based on a a changeable priesthood. It was based on the the men, the priests who were leading out in keeping of the law were men and they would die and they would need to be replaced. The law made nothing perfect. And and the Jewish people knew that with their anticipation in their celebration of the Passover. They knew that what they had was not perfect because they were looking forward to, they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah who would make things perfect. And verse 19 says, but the bringing in of a better hope did. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. And it's by that hope that we can draw nigh unto God. Verse 24, after speaking of what the the law could not do, but this man, because he continueth forever, it's the everlasting nature of Jesus Christ that he always was, he always is, and always will be, is where our, our salvation is, is rooted, in, and that's why his sacrifice was satisfying to God. He continueth ever. He lives, in verse 16, after the power of an endless life. That's where our faith and our salvation is rooted. Verse 25, he is able to save them to the uttermost, because he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He will not change, he will not die, he will not go away. Such an high priest we have as this in verse 26, who is holy, he is harmless, he is undefiled, meaning no filth or corruption of sin, which would be a symbolic of unleavened. He is separate from sinners, he is higher than the heavens. And verse 27 says he was sacrificed once and didn't even need to sacrifice for himself. That Jesus, that high priest, is 
who we celebrate today. And then verse eight, uh, chapter 8 pulls things together and says, This is the sum. We have an high priest who is set at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He didn't need to make sacrifice for himself before he went in to sacrifice for the people. He made one sacrifice that satisfied for all. And he's interceding for us in the true tabernacle. His ministry is a more excellent ministry. It's a better covenant, and it's established on better promises because he is eternal. Let's look at some verses in chapter 9. Verses 11 through 14 and 19 through 28. But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come by greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with, with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And skipping down to verses 19 through 28. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you wherever he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry and almost all things are by law purged with blood and without shedding of blood is no remission of sin I'm sorry I added two words and without shedding of the blood is no remission it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. <clears throat> Jesus was a high priest of a greater and more perfect tabernacle and it was with his own blood that he entered into this holy place bringing eternal redemption to us today it wasn't as a high priest in days of old where he would enter into the holy place first sacrificing for his own sins and then entering in once a year with a sacrifice for the people <clears throat> and it had to be done continually and continually but Jesus Christ entered in once with his own blood, bringing a eternal redemption for us. And it's a marvel that through all, throughout all the years before that, thousands of years before Christ's sacrifice, that the sprinkling, as verse 13 says, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer 
satisfied God for the time being. We are told that the rabbis marveled that the, mere, the blood of a mere sheep could protect people from God's judgment. And we marvel at that today too, don't we? And we even marvel even more at the thought that, that Jesus Christ's blood satisfied once and for all God's requirement for sacrifice for sin. And I love the picture that we get in verses 23 and 24. We get the picture of Christ taking his blood to the heavenly mercy seat, not the temporal mercy seat. I mean, if he would have taken his blood to the mercy seat here on earth, where's the mercy seat today? What would that mean for us today? It's gone as far as we know. The veil of the temple was rent in twain when he gave his life on the cross. What value would it have to us today if his blood was on the earthly mercy seat? But today his blood is on the heavenly mercy seat, bringing eternal redemption for us. Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And he will appear the second time without sin, bringing us eternal salvation. And so today we remember with anticipation. We celebrate with anticipation. It's not me kicking the thing. I'm not sure what it is. New sound system issues, I guess. We celebrate today with anticipation. We celebrate the fact that his blood satisfies and meets the need for salvation. And we celebrate with anticipation, looking forward to that final so, uh, final realization of salvation. <clears throat> Today we also proclaim, as we participate in communion service with each other, we proclaim to each other, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have accepted his provision for us. We remember his sacrifice. We accept and embrace his sacrifice. We celebrate that he is the perfect sacrifice for us. And in doing it together as a church, we proclaim that to each other. We recognize that he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, <clears throat> but also for the sins of the whole world. And Alvin brought that out ably in the devotional. That first sacrifice for Isaac was for one person. Today, Jesus Christ's sacrifice is for the sins of the whole world. Somehow his blood covered for all the sins before and cover for all the sins since, and cover for all the sins in the future as well. Jesus Christ's blood satisfies and meets that need. <clears throat> so we celebrate that he is the perfect sacrifice and that he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And we celebrate our deliverance from our Egypt, whatever our Egypt is. I'm thankful this morning particularly that we can gather together together to commemorate the communion service and proclaim it to each other. I found out recently of a church that I don't know the details, but I'm understanding that they went virtual since COVID and they closed their doors. The building is for sale. And as I pondered that a bit this morning, thinking about that, so now how would we go about this, having a virtual communion service? I guess we could drive around to everybody's house and drop off some unleavened bread and so that we would all have the same thing. Uh, or maybe we could just kind of all stand in our kitchens and do our own thing. What would it be like to have a virtual communion service? Sort of meaningless, right? Not yet, not, I guess not. 
guess I shouldn't say completely meaningless, but there's something about gathering together as a brotherhood and celebrating communion together. It brings a level of dimension to it that is special, and we appreciate it. We enjoy that opportunity. <clears throat> and so I am, am grateful um, to the congregation here at Mine Road in particular for the ability that we've had to be able to work together in a good way. And I understand even as we go through the, the um, emblems that maybe some things will be a little different, especially in the peat washing service. And so I, I encourage us all to ex uh, extend grace and understanding to each other. And I appreciate uh, the way that has been happening in the past. So we make a conscious effort to, for, to remember because we tend to forget. We make a conscious effort to celebrate because only the blood of Jesus could completely satisfy God's requirement for a sacrifice for sin. And we make a conscious effort to, re, to proclaim because it helps us to remember. Otherwise, if we were each out on our own, we, we would likely forget and it would lose its value. <clears throat> Let's kneel for prayer.